Welcome to the USRA Coalition's Let's Talk About It podcast, where we give you insights into mental health and substance abuse issues. In each episode, we'll have a conversation with a guest who will help create awareness in our communities around these topics. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the USRA Coalition's Let's Talk About It podcast that's dedicated to drawing issues out of the darkness and into the light. We do so in the name of prevention and awareness. Uh, before we get to today's guest, I want to remind you that the USRA Coalition is a partnership between the boroughs of Upper South River and Allendale, New Jersey. Members consist of elected officials, parents, school administration, police, health professionals, local businesses, clergy, and members of local community organizations. The mission of the USRA Coalition is to educate and create awareness in our communities to prevent and reduce substance abuse and other mental health related issues. And that brings us to today's guest. Uh, She is a champion of drawing up awareness and prevention in the area of substance abuse. Uh, Her journey is a long one. And unfortunately, uh, she has brought her to this case because she at one point along the way lost her son. Uh, And we'll talk about that in a little bit. She's a former parent, no stranger to the Upper Saddle River Allendale community. And um, she's here with us today. She's none other than Mrs. Gail Cole. Gail, welcome to the program. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you, Mike. So, Let's just jump right into it. Um, you know, I mentioned your son, Brendan. Um, he had a bout with addiction and his journey was a long one. Tell us a little bit about how, you know, you found yourself and he found himself in this position and, you know, how he got on the pathway to addiction and and, and what, what took place. Yeah. So, you know, really, you know, we're kind of like the all-American family. You know, I grew up in Oradell, lived in Midland Park, moved to Allendale. And, you know, we, we did everything like a normal family because I and, and I just state that because people, you know, have this misconception of an addict as being somebody in an alley or, you know, somebody from an impoverished or a broken family. And that wasn't the case at all. Um, you know, Brendan was somebody who had ADHD and had some anxiety and self-esteem issues. And, you know, but it was something we were always in tune to. And he chose to go to Bergen Catholic High School. Um, He wanted the structure of that. And he played sports. He was in the National Honor Society. And, you know, there was was nothing that really stood out as a problem. Yes, did he drink and smoke pot? But it wasn't anything, and, and not that I approve of that, but, you know, sometimes you can't always control everything that they're doing, but there was nothing that interfered with his, his daily activity and his success as a student and as an athlete. And he went off to college. He went to university of Richmond. It was his dream college and, you know, change was hard for him. And I don't know when it started, um, but somewhere along the line, he did start using pills. He had had surgery when he was going into college. He had a surgery and was prescribed opioids and then had another surgery when he was in college uh, and was prescribed opioids again. And they do say, if you are using them, you know, you have a greater risk of becoming addicted later in life. So somewhere along the line, he started using them. And as the money ran out, um, he turned to heroin. We unfortunately did not know that. We had no idea that he had a substance abuse problem until the second semester senior year. He had come home from lunch with his grandmother and I'd never seen him look like that. He was sweating. He was pale. His eyes were nodding. um, All telltale signs of opioid or heroin use. 
and he finally admitted that he had a little pill problem. And, you know, we didn't know this was 2013. We did not have any information about this. Um, so, and he also didn't tell us the depth of his problem. So, you know, we made the decision to send him back again, not knowing the depth of the problem. He was seeing an addiction specialist twice a year and he had rejoined the lacrosse team and he told all his fraternity brothers. So he had all these eyes on him and somehow he still managed to use and he graduated. But at the end of the summer, he was arrested twice in one week for heroin possession and so we got him into rehab. It was a 28-day program, which is not enough for um, heroin or opioid addiction. And he went out to sober living. And probably after seven weeks, he got kicked out for failing to take a drug test. And back he came right before Thanksgiving. And our house became a war zone, which is what it's like when you're living with an addict who doesn't think they need help and thinks that they have control over a drug that totally controls every aspect of your being. So we did get through the holidays and January 3rd, he started a temp job and he looked amazing. We thought, wow, we got our son back. You know, he had that sparkle in his eye. He just looks so healthy. And, you know, he went out to the mall and he had heroin delivered to Neiman Marcus. And my husband woke up that night we knew he had he had used and the next day we knew was going to be the time to find him help again and um my husband found him about one o'clock in the morning overdosed and he was revived went to the emergency room and was back home at 1 30 that afternoon and you know we asked him if he had anything else he said no he didn't and Sadly, he overdosed again, and this time they couldn't revive him. So that was January 4th um, of 2014, and he was 22 years old. You know what? As unreal as your story is, um, as you alluded to, it's, it's not that uncommon, you know, especially uh, these days, you know, um, coming from a town like Allendale, coming from a family that's intact and, and, and fully functioning, and you, you have everything at your fingertips, you know, people still have these misconceptions that, you know, heroin is um, and heroin use and, and substance abuse. It's it's in a dark alley. It's a downtrodden neighborhood. And that's that's just not the case. So that being said, you know, you have turnkeyed this into a lot of, of your efforts to, to drum up efforts for for prevention. So I, I, I kind of lost track of even how many organizations you're involved with. How many are you involved with? Gail, tell us a little bit about your work. Well, you know, when when it happened, uh, we were just so shocked. And, you know, you are grief is just terrible. I don't wish this on my worst enemy uh, to go through losing a child. And then, you know, there are so many layers to addiction that add to the grief, there's stigma, there's shame, there's the would have, should have, could have, you know, is there a cure? Why couldn't he find recovery? And And you beat yourself up because as a parent, you don't understand how you missed it, like how how you couldn't help it, how you couldn't fix it. Um, so, you know, I, I had started, you know, going to some meetings to talk about it, and I was very open about it. I mean, the whole town was at my house twice in one day. Um, so everyone knew about it, and I decided not to be silent about it. Um, and I know, you know, even at his wake, somebody said, you know, out of all the families, I know you're in last place for this to happen to. And so I realized that nobody was talking about it. So through the Bergen County Prosecutor's Office, I had an opportunity to go to the schools and 
I did that probably for six or seven years. I, I haven't been doing it, you know, with COVID and everything. Um, but they had a pathway to addiction series. And, you know, at the end of it, I would share the story and put Brendan's beautiful picture up. And people were like, <gasps> like, really, you know, like they had no idea, you know, that it could be their brother, their sister, their classmate, their best friend, their cousin. Uh, you know, so so I did that. And, you know, I also there the Bergen County prosecutor at the time, Gerber Graywell, was doing a lot of initiatives. So, you know, I supported him and spoke and shared Brendan's story just just as a voice, because, like I said, nobody was sharing it. Uh, and then about a year after his passing, I um, formed a bereavement group called Hope and Healing After an Addiction Death. Uh, and it was, again, it was because there was nothing, there was no place for people to go to share in this specific type of loss. And we call it the crappy club. You know, nobody wanted to be a member, but here we all were. And, you know, I'm still running it. I was off earlier this year for the first two months, you know, due to the Omicron variant. Um, but I'm having a, a meeting next week and, you know, it is just heart-wrenching to hear all the stories. And when you listen to them describe their loved one, they all sound like the same person, these amazing, creative, loving, caring, generous of the heart people. And they all got wrapped up in, you know, really what was caused by the opioid epidemic, you know, the overprescribing of pain medication for everyday things like root canal and sprains. And, you know, nobody, nobody starts using heroin. They all progress from opioid pain medication onwards. Um, and, you know, so it, it really, anytime anyone wants me to talk, I'm happy to talk. I know I do some, you know, some speaking for alumni in recovery as well. Um, our family was involved in an HBO documentary called Warning This Drug May Kill You. It highlighted um, four different stories of addiction. Um, so again, I'm, I'm just all about getting awareness out there. Um, I think the really scary thing now um, that people don't realize is, you know, Bre Brendan died from a heroin overdose. Um, what has changed over the number of years has been the introduction of fentanyl. So I know I have been reading a lot about it. Like there was just something in the paper that said the U United States Department of Transportation reported that the proportion of drivers testing positive for opioids nearly doubled after March 19, uh, 19, 2020. That was, you know, when COVID, you know, reared its ugly head versus the previous six months and the prevalence of the increase in marijuana use 50%. Um, and I know they said from April 2020 to April 2021, overdose deaths were over 100,000 people. And of that, 64% came from fentanyl. So, and for people that don't know, fentanyl is usually an end-stage cancer drug. It's synthetic made, so it's very readily available. And the drug dealers, they cut everything with it because it makes their product cheaper. And something like two milligrams can kill you. And it is almost instant when it happens. What's so scary about this too, and you know this as well as I do, Gail, you know, unlike opioids that are produced by, by pharmaceutical companies, they're regulated by the FDA, like heroin dealers, they're not regulated by anyone. Like you don't know how much is in a batch. So yeah, you've gotten to that point. It's bad enough already, but again, you, you don't even know what's, what's in 
what you're buying or injecting into your body or smoking or however you're taking this stuff. So yeah, they, they don't know at all. In fact, there was just an article in the record yesterday. It was about two young men and, and the, the title of it is One Pill Can Kill. They take a pill and, and you know, what these drug manufacturers are doing, the, the illegal drug manufacturers, people think that they're buying, a, you know, a black market, you know, oxycodone or something, and it may be 100% fentanyl. And unfortunately, you know, COVID, yes, has been a pandemic, and rightly so, it has been the center of attention, but people don't realize that drug overdoses are still going on and that this fentanyl poisoning, what they're calling it, is so rampant. I mean, I, I have people in my group, they're lacing it in cocaine. You know, people are like, hey, I'm just going to do a line of coke. And they have no idea that it's laced in, with fentanyl. And, and it's like one and done. You know, there, there are people who are not heroin addicts and they think they're taking a, a, a pill and it's pure fentanyl. And, you know, there have been reports, again, I don't know whether it's valid or not, that even marijuana and ecstasy. So, you know, kids that are thinking, I'm just going to do a normal party drug, they're dying. And I think, unfortunately, parents are a little oblivious to it. And, you know, there is that, oh, kids will be kids. But I think, you know, not only is it, you know, yes, you have to stay away from it, but there is a real risk. I mean, even older kids are like, don't buy anything from someone you don't know. Uh, sound advice, you know, in anything, yeah, this especially, I mean, uh, when you talk about synthetic drugs, so whether it be fentanyl or even synthetic marijuana, the effects it can have on people are really disastrous. So um, going back to, you know, your experience, and, and you said Brendan was an athlete, and he was prescribed opioids, if, you know, if you could go back, and knowing what you know, now, um, ask the doctor questions, or just just even just be aware of what the, what the, what the possibilities were, what would you ask? What would you say? What advice would you give to, you know, parents or even student athletes out there who are, who are seeing a doctor and seeking help from, from an injury or, or from, yeah. uh, from a surgery or procedure? Yeah. So Brennan was not, his, his injuries were not athletic related, but there have been plenty that have been, I mean, I think I just heard of the fifth person from his high school lacrosse team that died from an overdose five from the same team. Um, a lot of do have injuries. You know, this is how the whole epidemic reared its ugly head is that the doctors were over prescribing them and they were told that they were non-addictive. They weren't habit forming. Um, and it can in, in three to five days, you can become, you know, dependent on them. Uh, you know, there has been a lot of awareness raised and I think that they have changed some laws, but I read something that they were going back again, you know, if you are being prescribed it, are there alternatives? I had a case with um, my youngest where he was having his wisdom teeth taken out and he had already been in the hospital for um, surgery for his arm and had been on pain medication. And he came home and, and you know, one of the big side effects is constipation. It's horrible. And he said, I'm not taking anything for my wisdom teeth. And I said to the doctor, I said, well, I don't want Percocet. I don't want Vicodin. He's in eighth grade. What can you give me? Oh, we can do a regimen of Tylenol and Advil, you know, one and just you, you piggy and, you know, inflammation and pain. And he never took anything and he was fine. So right there, you eliminate the risk. So what are your alternatives? 
These medications, opioid pain medications do have a place, but not for the everyday injuries that you're having. I mean, I'm sure when you grew up, when I grew up, they didn't give us anything. You just toughed it out, you know? Um, So I think you need to be aware, do you need it? And if you do need it, you have to like, you know, meet them out. You have to regulate them. You can't leave them for your child because they'll tell you, hey, I can get $20 for that 20 milligram pill. Um, and, you know, you, once they're done, get rid of them, discard them. Um, and again, you know, do, do you need them? And if you do, be very, very careful and get rid of them and just know the side effects that, you know, they're, they're going to like that feeling. And it's interesting, though, some people like I, I, I took them once for a surgery I had, and I hate them. So you, the problem is you don't know if you carry that addiction card in your back pocket until it's too late. Yeah. And, you know, I think what parents have to understand, too, is if you think there might be a problem, there probably is a problem. (laughs) You know, some some behavior changes that you'll notice is they're isolating in their room and they're not showering. Like I had no idea when you're withdrawing, it hurts to shower, it hurts to brush your teeth, it hurts to shave. You know, that is what keeps an addict still using is the withdrawal is just so brutal. Um, And, you know, you just, the behavior, you know, hanging out with different people and isolating themselves, eating a lot of sugar, because that also gives you a little boost in in your, I guess, your serotonin. Um, And, you know, don't, don't be afraid to speak up and, and, and kind of get in their face and don't let the stigma and shame of what other people are going to think stop you from looking for help because there is help out there. There are plenty of people who are in recovery, but the longer it goes on, the harder it is. And so important to know the signs to look for. I'm so glad you shared that. I mean, sometimes, and I'm sure you might agree with this based on your experience, you don't know what you don't know. So if you're not sure what you're looking for or what to see or or recognize those, those, those danger signs, those red flags, you you don't know it until it's too late. So thank thank you again for sharing that. Yeah. And, and, and the one other thing, because I know you, you touch on this too, and this is part of your whole initiative is the mental health aspect of it as well. You know, Brendan had the anxiety, the depression, the self-esteem. And a lot of times, almost everyone in that I have met through my bereavement group, they all suffered from the same thing. So if your child is struggling, get them help because, you know, they feel that there is no help and then they self-medicate, you know, and, and heroin, opioids, they're not party drugs. You do them alone because the, the, feeling of being numb is better than the pain that you feel inside. And as parents, we don't understand that. We don't, I, you know, depression is hard to understand unless you've experienced it yourself, but that deep pain that leads kids to drug, to drug abuse, to suicide, cutting all those behaviors, it's mental health related. And you have to address that as, as soon as you think there's a problem. Yeah, what do you think holds people back from getting their kids help if they even do recognize something? Is it is it the stigma? Is is it is it the shame? Are they afraid what people are going to say? Like what 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 kind of goes into that? What what is your experience with that? I think there's a whole combination. I mean, we always had you know Brendan seeing somebody, and you know he was self conscious about it, but you know we didn't really share it with other people. There is stigma and shame. I think that has less lessened has greatly lessened in 
the whole addiction cycle because people like Brendan, normal every day, every you, I don't think you will talk to somebody who doesn't know somebody who died from the disease of addiction. And I think that's the important thing that people are stressing. And that's what we talk about in our group. I mean, we have people that didn't want to talk about it because they were so ashamed and embarrassed. I said, your loved one had a disease. If they died from cancer, you would be talking about it. Like, Brendan wasn't an addict. That's not who he was. That was the disease with which he suffered. And it's the same thing with mental illness. There should be no stigma and shame. I think kids are looking for more help. One of the biggest barriers, though, the providers, with everything that went through with um, COVID, the providers were so overtaxed because so many kids were struggling, you know, with the isolation. So many addicts relapsed. Everything was being done virtually. AA meetings, NA meetings, Al-Anon meetings, they were all being done virtually. So that isolation, that not having any access to any people just like killed everyone. And then the good providers don't take insurance. And, you know, it, it could be $250 every, every single week. Right. Yeah. Our system's broken. <laughs> That's a, another whole nother podcast altogether. You know, we yep. can go on and on about that and, what resources available and where to go if you do need help. And um, yeah, definitely not a, not a simple fix. Uh, Gail, w- when you talk about the work that, that we do and, and the coalition is involved in this work as well, you know, you, you kind of mention it and you allude to it. Um, this is still going on. Some of it's at a greater rate. Like, are, are we making a difference? Are we making an impact? You know, how do you feel where are we right now with, with awareness and, and drumming up prevention for, for things like this? You know, I, I think the fact that, that organizations like Upper Saddle River, you know, the coalition, um, just the fact that they make it an effort, you know, some people will listen. I don't know how you get everyone to listen. You know, I mean, normally when I would speak at night to parents, it was all the parents, you know, the parents that, that didn't need to be there were there, the parents who were like, athletes. It's like the same 50 people every time, right? It is, you know, but yet, you know, there's a part of me that always felt like if you made it mandatory, if you were participating in a sport to listen to a seminar, you know, because that was at, at one time the most, the greatest at risk because they were being prescribed them for injuries. I do think it's making a difference. I think that the more people that are affected, sadly, the more people are talking. I mean, I have friends that they're like, yeah, my child went in for a surgery and I told them no opioids, <laughs> you know, and the kids are like, yeah, I remember like I was someplace and they're like, Hey, I remember you told B's story. That's how I refer to Brendan. And, you know, for the longest time, I didn't know if it was making a difference, but if you help one person, if one person didn't die, if one family doesn't have to go through this, that's what always motivated me. Oh, that's what motivates us too. So I'm glad to hear you say that. And, you know, the more we read about it, and as prevalent as it is, again, the whole point of, of this program, of our coalition, of your work as well, it's just get people talking about it, get it out of the darkness, get it into the light, let people know, because it, sometimes you don't even know you have a right to refusal. You don't have to take medication the doctor gives you. It could be as simple as that. And obviously, that's it. And I think that as, as, as the COVID and the variants, like right now, you know, we're at a little bit of a lull knock on wood that it stays, you know, uh, contained and there's no other, you know, crazy variant outbreak, but recently there have been a lot more articles. And I think even the president is looking at things, you know, New Jersey's looking at things, but it's just how to, how to funnel those resources into what is really needed. Well, 
there's no easy fix. There's no answer. There's no smoking gun. You know, we'll, we'll keep working towards one though. And, and you know, we'll be right. You'll be right there with us. So thanks again for everything, Gail. Hey, before we let you go today, uh, we do have uh, a little lighter side to the show. We ask you about three questions just to kind of get to know you and let the listeners know who you are personally. Um, we call it the big trifecta. Is that something you'd be interested in? Absolutely. All right, cool. Well, listen, we know uh, St. Patrick's Day is right around the corner. And although some people may see it as a drinking holiday, I like it for the food. Uh, Toss up question for you. You more of an Irish soda bread person or you corned beef and cabbage? Yeah, corned beef and cabbage doesn't really do it for me, although I, I do like one piece of corned beef with some mustard. Right. But yeah, that, that Irish soda bread with the Kerry's gold butter on it, you know, is delicious. <laughs> <laughs> People ask me that question. They say toss up which one. I say yes. So I'm a I'm a foodie. Love the love the St. Patrick's Day food. Listen, winter uh, winter season, uh, snowy night. Uh, what 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 was your family family board game? Do you guys do board games uh, back in the day? Oh yeah, we used to do a lot of board games. Uh, Yahtzee is a fan favorite. Um, I'm trying to think. It's it's been a while, but we actually did pull out Yahtzee. Um, and there was something else, maybe Cards Against Humanity, a little inappropriate, but you know, we we did we did pull some out during COVID when there was right. not a whole lot to do in the evening. <laughs> we were doing some card games as well. Our kids are younger, but we're Uno people these days, so Uno. We're trying to get after it. You know, it's definitely a, a nice change of pace from Xbox and PlayStation Four and uh, Netflix too. So, trying to break out the board games, go old school. Gail, last question for you. If you had the ability to have dinner with anyone at any time in history of the world, who would it be? Who would you love to have a conversation with? Oh, wow. I, 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 people have asked that before, and um, that's a tough one. Um, gosh, I have to think for about about uh, 30 seconds here. Um, Do you want me to hum the theme to Jeopardy? <laughs> no, then that'll be more pressure. That'll take me no, even no, no, longer. No pressure. And, and, I'll, and I'll get buzzed. Um, I would find John F. Kennedy very interesting. You know, when I was growing up, for some reason, he was like, whenever I had to pick a president for the report, you know, it would just, I just found him interesting. I guess, you know, his whole ask not what you can do for your country, but what you can, what what your country can do for you, but for what you can do for your country, um, you know, and, and that just always sticks in my mind when I think of him and, you know, who knows what he might have been able to accomplish? Who knows how the world might have gone in a different direction? But just an interesting historical fiction, uh, historical character, not not fiction. Um, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and I think God would be really interesting to talk to, too, because sometimes I wonder what he's thinking. <laughs> well, listen, uh, it makes a lot of sense when you say that not only are you doing something for our country, but it's for our, our county, our community. We can't thank you enough for the work you do. And thanks again for coming on the program, too. Really Thank you, Mike. And thank you for the whole coalition for uh, all the efforts that you guys continually uh, do. And, and hopefully I just urge parents to really open up your ears and, and, and listen, because you do not want this to happen to you. All right. Thanks again, Gail. Thanks, and that's Mike. all for this episode of Let's Talk About It Again. It's brought to you by the USRA Coalition, and we're doing this in the effort of awareness and prevention. We're drawing issues out of the darkness and into the light. Please do it, and please heed Gail's advice. Please pull up a seat at the table, talk about these things, make them a part of the conversation, because remember, if you're not at the table, you could be on the menu. All right, that's all for this time, folks. Thanks again. 
Have a good one.